hello and welcome to That Odious Beast Gaming. I'm your oldest gamer, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, and I'm your younger gamer, Logan. Uh, that Odious Beast Gaming is a podcast all about uh, upcoming games, games we're playing now, gamer culture, and the industry. I'm um, really excited to bring this cast to you today. Should be great. Uh, so we're going to kick things off with what we've been playing um, and it's, uh, it's been a bit of a rough month for me. Uh, I haven't played, uh, too many new games, but thankfully this week I did play something new. Logan, I played Shadow of the Colossus. Ah, we're talking about the PS4 remake, Yeah, right? that's correct, yeah. Um, so I never played the PS2 original. I've obviously, uh, heard quite a lot about it for years. Um, yeah. it's a pretty seminal game, but, um... I didn't own a PS2 until, like, well into the PS3 life cycle, and I was also poor as dirt, so I <laughs> uh, did not play too many games on that console. Um, so, yes, I, I picked up the new, uh, well, relatively new. It, that was earlier this year, right? Ah, uh, wow. Uh, I want I, I to say it was last year, wasn't it? 2017? Well, through the power of the internet we can look right now mm, i desperately hope we're getting some of that sweet click clack fully work there oh on no the doubt no doubt um let's see that's the older date wikipedia's got our back looks like 2018, looks like 2018. okay yeah um oh you know what it was 2018 because i yeah. bought my playstation I don't know how much of this we're going to edit out, but... I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll leave we'll whatever. See. But anyway, so yeah, I, I played that this week. Um, and I know you're a fan. We, we talked about it a little bit before we started recording. Yeah, so my introduction to Shadow of the Colossus actually was not the PS2 game, but a port of the PlayStation 2 game on my PlayStation 3. Oh, that's right. Uh, that they sold to the shop channel. And I remember playing it and thinking it was the most beautiful game I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, and then with the remake, they obviously went and redid all of the assets yes yeah um, and i'd never finished the original and so mm -hmm. going in and playing the remake was just a significantly better smoother experience to finish off that game i started so many years ago right right um yeah so yeah i played through all that in two sittings um which i felt like was a pretty good way to pace the game because for mm -hmm. those who don't know it's basically an all boss battles game um so it's combat focused kind of but it's more like puzzly combat Absolutely. You, you control a, a small avatar i don't know just a normal human-sized young man um just a strapping young lad. <laughs> indeed um and you are facing off against these massive creatures um like i don't know eight stories tall some of these seem to be um and so you have to figure out the weaknesses on their bodies and then basically clamber around them through this really interesting um what's the term it's, i'm looking for climbing system i guess like, yeah like it's, a really unique climbing mechanic right um to get you up there and and so it's more it's much more puzzly than it is combat focused although it is ex explicitly you know violent in nature in, in the actions that you're doing right um but hmm, gotta say 
I don't know if I liked this game. What? Yes. No, so... wait. I love how we had like a mild bit of discussion leading know, into recording and you just kept that a secret <laughs> I until know. now. Gotta have content. Yeah. You wanted to have the reveal on live radio That's or correct. Like, recording and I hate that. But... I, I want to be clear that I do not hate this game by any means, but I did not. Mm, okay, well, this gets into a, a deeper discussion. I was going to say I did not have fun playing this game. I want to be clear that I don't think all games should be fun. Sure. And measuring games based on fun is um, a fool's errand in 2018. Right. Well, on fun alone, I yeah, should Yeah, like I've been playing Gone Home. Mm-hmm. Um, Gone Home isn't particularly, like, fun. Fun is extremely not the right word. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah it's absolutely not. In fact, it's, I would say it's definitely very eerie. Yes. Um, very unnerving. I thought it was a horror game at first. Yeah, I still, even though I, I somehow... Yeah, I know you're pretty early on. Yeah, I got the twist spoiled for me, which was unfortunate. Oh, that's a bummer. Um, but I even still, I kind of feel like it's a horror game. Yeah, yeah fair. Um, because it's just very eerie and very unnerving. Mm-hmm. And mechanically, it's not very engaging. It's a, it's a walking no, sim. No, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure, and for so, sure. But yeah, as a diversion, I guess, not every game has to be fun, but... Definitely. Ooh. What, what was wrong with Shadow of the Colossus? So, um, I enjoyed... So there are 16 colossi that, that you face off against, and that is basically the whole game. I don't want to get spoilery, even though the original game came out in 2005. Right. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll avoid specifics, but you face you do 16 boss fights, and that's the game, basically. Um there are a few other minor things. And so the first, I don't know, eight to ten, I really enjoyed. I really liked that they are all unique. Mm-hmm. Well, well mostly. All unique. Mostly. There are like probably two or three that are more or less re, like reskins with a slightly different environment. And a couple of those are better than others. Right. But anyway, um, the... Having to solve a puzzle in, in combat, a, a new puzzle each time, was quite cool. Mm-hmm. But after 16, it started to get a little bit old. It felt kind of like they had um, this concept for a structure of a game that they wanted to flesh out to be able to sell a $60 game. Now, I wasn't there. I do not know that for a fact, but that's what it ended up feeling like for me. Like the sure. last, the the back six felt pretty unnecessary, in my opinion. And particularly, I want to talk about the last Colossus. So I guess minor spoilers, but it's nothing story related. Sure. It's a very large humanoid creature, right? That doesn't uh, move around its environment, so it doesn't walk or anything. Right. It's stationary. Um, yeah, and so. It's a bit of a puzzle getting up to it at first, uh, and a, a spatial puzzle. You have to because it, it's shooting like lasers at you, yeah, basically from its hands, and so you have to you have to figure out where to be to not get hit by that. And it, it took me a few tries, and once I solved that, it was pretty satisfying. And unfortunately, you once you get to its base without dying, you have to climb it. And it's wearing like <laughs> wearing's maybe not the right. Term. Yeah, no, definitely not. But it's got like. Uh, a tiered sort of... I don't know. It's basically a skirt. Like, yeah, it, I don't know. The, the aesthetic kind of vibe me is like a samurai style. Yeah. Outfit, but like a ceremonial sure. samurai. Mm-hmm. But it's all metallic and you... It's uh, it's very layered and it has hard edges so you're, you're able to climb it. Um, 
uh, as you would, like, I don't know, a set of stairs, a steep set of stairs. Um, and this is, again, there's very combat or a very puzzle focus in these battles. But this one was not fun because it gets to the point where the game does not control very well. No. It doesn't. <laughs> and I I want to believe that that's intentional. And um, I heard it described recently as there are different ways that you can control characters in games. Um, almost a spectrum of control. Whereas so- something like Mario, you have very ex- uh, explicit, minute control over his motions at any time. You mm-hmm. you could say you are Mario or you are controlling Mario. Whereas something like Shadow of the Colossus, it feels more as like suggesting or directing than it does 100%. direct control. And that works well for the themes of the game. Actually, extremely well, yeah, which is why well. I think it's, it's intentional. Um, because the game is all about, um, in the end, autonomy um, and bodily control. The game starts by um, the main character who who you are, if we'll, if we'll use this term, directing, uh, bringing his uh, sister, I believe. Yeah, um, I don't know the relation of the it, girl. It seems like, like a familial relation. Or um, basically to this cursed land to this god who uh, he believes can resurrect his sister who was wrongly killed mm-hmm. um, and so it's all about bodily autonomy and bodily control in the end if you want to run with that theme so I it makes sense that the game doesn't control very well unfortunately that me that makes the last colossus an unimaginable pain in the butt it's excruciating uh uh i don't know if this existed in the original game but in the in the blue uh i was called a blue hole a very different company blue point blue point games um in in their ps4 version they have a statistics page and you can see how long it took you to defeat each colossus oh i knew you're gonna bring this up because i have my number too go ahead okay so for almost all of the colossus it was uh five to 15 minutes maybe Mm -hmm. this final one 40 minutes just and none of that like it was interesting for the first 10 um like all the other uh colossi but this one just became extremely frustrating and it broke the whole pace of the game in my opinion sure and it left me with a sour taste in my mouth and then the game ends um with a, a long cut scene uh a with, very long cut with scene. a lot of different things happening <laughs> mm-hmm. none of which i liked either um interesting because it was <laughs> uh not well set not set up well enough to feel like I had any concept of what was going on. And like I said, I did this in two sittings over two days. Like I was there and paying attention, but none of what happens in the end is clear. And that's not always a problem. Definitely not. But in this case, it felt like nonsensical event after nonsensical event to the point where it was like, um, okay. I thought I was attached to this, this game in a certain way that I just am not anymore. And right. and that was kind of a bummer. So in the end, I love the first half of that game and really dislike 
the, the second, but maybe two thirds and then a third. Like maybe it's right. not halves, but but you get you get the idea. But. Yeah, that's super interesting to hear you say. Yeah, um, because from my perspective, all of the things that you're talking about, how you disliked, are like high points for me. Oh, in really? The game. Interesting. And so the okay. the very I would say disorienting ending um, is a big deal for me. It's one of my favorite parts of the game um, because interesting. I I like. You definitely get a certain idea of what you're doing in the game and on this adventure. Definitely. And they definitely turn that on its head in a pretty big way yeah. at the end. Do you um, want to get spoiler for a minute? Not, not really, okay. but we can right. fair, um, fair. if you think it would be helpful. Well, there because I agree with you for certain events that I want to say. So we're, we're going to say spoilers for the next, we'll just say 60 seconds. So if if you uh, want to play this this game and you don't want anything spoiled, just 60 seconds. Starting now. So, the whole bit of building up to, oh, you resurrected this demon god, and right. you built the body, that was really cool. That that worked super well. Sure. Everything after that, I was like, the girl's resurrected for no reason. You suddenly oh. are a demon baby? Yeah. I'm like, I okay. don't no, understand. No, no, I follow. You're talking about the credit roll. The credit That's roll true. was incredibly confusing. Right. And I think it heralds to uh, their other game previous, which was Ico. Yes, which I've played. Uh, which I've not. Oh, okay. And so for me, I could, I guess you could say, narratively satisfy myself by saying, like, ah, I think this is an Ico thing. I don't understand. Uh, okay. Since sure. I had no proof that that mm-hmm. wasn't the case. It's right? not <laughs> related. Uh, maybe thematic. Okay, we're, we're out of spoiler territory now. Yeah. Um, we're talking about the, the credit roll, but we won't say any specifics. Uh, it's thematically maybe related to Ico or Eco, you know, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. who knows. But explicitly, no. Yeah, definitely um, not explicitly related. And, yeah, I don't know. It, it's weird. So, yeah. I I, th- I think from a, a thematic point of view, I love the game. From the gameplay, I love the first uh, ten colossi. Uh, and then... Yeah. I, I can agree with you in a lot of senses. Um, what I love is that you played through it but you did not platinum it i assume you no and i trophy. will not nathaniel my brother did okay um and i can't imagine doing it because i'm with you that mm-hmm. after a while the grind gets horribly repetitive i ran maybe two new game pluses really oh yeah and they were the third one was horrible i don't um, doubt it because yeah. yeah but i think like from an aesthetic standpoint and from mm-hmm. just the beauty of the game and, and yes. especially the soundtrack. Yes. Um, and the audio design good. is very good. Yep. Um, but that would be my, I guess, pitch for the game. Mm-hmm. But I definitely hear what you're saying as far as those mechanical difficulties and, and some of those things those yep. are, are hard to overcome. Yep. Um, yeah, I think it's just a game that is more of its time than maybe people realize. It, it's timeless in many ways, but it, in... A lot of other ways that it's 2005. Yeah, it feels like an incredibly janky 2005 game in a lot of ways. Um, But for its time, I mean, and this Mm -hmm. is what I like to look at. I mean, Shadow of the Colossus, thematically, it was very different from a lot of the other games that were cranking out 2005. No doubt, no doubt. Um, And I love that about it. Sure. Um, But yeah, maybe it doesn't hold perfectly to the 2018 test and that's fine it doesn't have to and it holds better than i expected i I will say that yeah um now i wanted to talk a little bit about a game that i've been playing lay it on me um and that is persona 5 oh baby um and i love persona so for those of you who aren't familiar it's a part of the larger uh, megami tensei universe out of japan uh, developed and published by atlas Mm -hmm. um and what's interesting about persona 5 is it 
a lot of ways mechanically it's similar to the what you were just saying about like aged mechanics mm-hmm. um, because it's it's a turn-based combat rpg mm. and so it's not like there's anything fresh or original really that they're bringing from a mechanical standpoint right, right? like they've innovated in unique ways Mm -hmm. but the core of it is still there and as a result persona benefits from drawing on other more important parts um right my favorite part and i think what i want to talk most about persona i think where it differs from most uh, jrpgs Mm -hmm. is in what they call in most persona games the social link feature Mm. Um, but in persona 5 they call it the confidant system okay um so the basic idea behind Persona 5 is that you play a regular Japanese school kid, um, which I love the aesthetic of. That's actually about 60. Very, very tropey. Yeah, yeah, 60% of the game, you just run around as a Japanese school kid, and nice. I really have come to love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other 40%, uh, you break into people's hearts or minds inception style perfect and steal their evil desires okay which are like manifested in the form of a treasure okay um so you play the role of characters that call themselves phantom thieves Mm. and that's your job you go ahead um along the way the game deals with some hefty themes like uh you know suicide and abuse and those kinds of things because the people who you're not breaking into the heart of the guy who stole your lunch money Right? You're breaking mm-hmm. into the heart of real criminals. Almost Inception-like, if I haven't said that already. Interesting. Um, which is kind of a unique setup. But the whole theme of the game and its combat system and the way it evolves is based upon bonds. Um, so the mm-hmm. closer you are to other people, particularly the people who are in your main party, the more your combat evolves and strengthens and becomes better. Mm-hmm. And so during your 60% of time in the overworld, as it were, you spend time like making friendships with people and like going on dates and like hanging out with people in this effort to strengthen your bonds Mm. um, and increase, they call them vows. Whenever you make a a bond with somebody, uh, there's this voiceover that comes over and says like, I am thou, thou art I, thou hast acquired a new vow. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's like the signal that you've like achieved another level. And then it'll give you like a level up in your, your social skill. Sure. Yeah. Um, But what I was going to say is there have been some profoundly unique experiences, having never played a Persona game before, that are really interesting. Uh, Number one is, I think it's the first time where, like, I've made a series of actions and then a video game character has told me that they're in love with me. (laughs) Um, That was an incredibly unique experience. Okay, fair. Um, fair. Especially since I didn't necessarily see it coming. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went into Persona under the auspices of like, oh, you can, like, build bonds, and, and obviously I knew there was, like, a relationship forging side to it. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that, like, the first person whose relationship you get to that level will become your character's girlfriend. Oh, um, okay. Which go. is really interesting. Yeah. And so, like, I'm just sitting there, like, enjoying this cutscene, and all of a sudden this girl's like, Lucius, which is what I named my character. Uh-huh. Um, she's like, Lucius, I love you. And I was like, huh, well, I guess we're here. And then it, like, said something like, you have entered into a serious relationship with on. And I was like, huh. Well, and like nice. in hindsight, I was like, well, I had a, a surprisingly low level of choice about that. Right, um, right. But at the same time, like I realized like, Oh, it was a series of choices that got me to that point. Right. So I guess, I don't know, but it was a very unique experience in huh. the sense that I don't know. It, there's not a whole lot. I mean, there are obviously like a lot of Bioware games. I know focus pretty heavily on, 
building relationships like Dragon Age, and I think Mass Effect has a relationship aspect Definitely, too. Yeah. Um, but I've not played either of those games yet. Okay, fair. Um, and so this was like kind of my first experience with, mm-hmm. hey, we've in addition to like having an RPG, we've simulated a relationship aspect in here. Right. And I gotta say, it it didn't feel unnatural per nice. se, um, which I think is a big a triumph on the part of Persona. And then after that, of course, every time I was in combat with On, she was very powerful. So that was nice, right. too. Yeah, I was going to say, it reminds me of uh, Fire Emblem's relationship mechanics. Yes. Which are way more mechanical in nature, if you will. Like, there there are little snippets of dialogue that, that are sort of like portraying love that can grow between characters. But it is very secondary. It is not... Like, the focus of the relationship mechanic is a combat-oriented one. It's not a narrative one, basically, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, which it sounds like is not the case for Persona, which is yeah. which is definitely mechanical. Uh, has mechanical relevance, but uh, is also pitched in a, in a more narrative way. Yeah, and I think what I loved about it, and what I continue to love as I'm finishing up the game, is that it it's not perfectly narrative. Like it's not a hundred percent narrative mm-hmm. and it's not a hundred percent mechanical, but I think it hits kind of a sweet spot in the sense that like, yeah, I mean now there's special moves that can happen where like if somebody gets a critical hit on my character, she has a chance to block for me or whatever. Right, right. But in addition, like I had to buy her chocolate and lipstick and roses yeah. as gifts. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. The the one downfall I would say that Alice has, and one thing that I hope that they can get into for, the next Persona title, which they've hinted that they're working on, right. uh, Persona 6, right. uh, is that there's no overall narrative relevance mm-hmm. to it. Um, that is to say, like, as you build relationships, you trigger certain cutscenes, but none of that has an effect on, like, the overall plot. Okay. Which is weird in some instances. Like, let me give you an example. So, like, after I'd entered this relationship with On, uh-huh. there's a part where your buddy Ryuji's, like, ogling her. <laughs> And okay. it's very uncomfortable for everybody. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't necessarily narratively take into account that, you know, your good buddy probably wouldn't be, like, gazing down his buddy's girlfriend. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely an anime trope about the, the high school boy who's, like, overly hormonal like that, sure. right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, there's, like, no account for any of that. There's, like, no mention of, like, the relationship outside of these predetermined cutscenes. And that's a little jarring. Yeah, I imagine it's because it's somewhat dynamic, right? Like, you can choose, in some sense, who you're related to. And because of that, it would mean a lot more work to weave that into the broader narrative. So I'm not, I guess I'm not shocked that it doesn't. But it is a bummer. Yeah, it is is a little bit. And like you said, there are so many relationships that you can pursue. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've not even found all of them. And I already have this accidental girlfriend. Right. Um, <laughs> and so there's definitely and from what i understand there's some sequences like i know because the game flows on kind of like a a calendar like you have okay. to pay attention to the clock mm-hmm. it's very much a time management game which i like a lot yeah. like you have to decide like oh am i gonna go grind enemies and build up my xp mm-hmm. or am i gonna take this girl on a date which will also have a mechanical benefit right and right. so you're forced to manage your your clock like that mm-hmm. um but from what I understand, there's some stuff that can go down on Valentine's Day, depending on the choices that you make. Hmm. Um, so there are small narrative consequences, but they're, I don't know. I'd love to see maybe later, like, get tied into a much broader yeah. narrative sense. That's fair. Um, but yeah, with so many choices. Anyway, but Persona's an interesting, I guess you could say, piece, because it follows, 
the classic RPG structure of turn-based combat, and it does so very well. Right. Um, but then it also has this unique relation piece, which I would consider kind of like the shining gem of the game. Yes. And it's been very fun to experience. I don't doubt it. The game looks excruciatingly stylish. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, the soundtrack yeah. is over-the-top stylish. I mean, like, I you'll enter it. combat with a boss, and every time there's this electric guitar riff that you lead into it with. Absolutely, And it yes. is my favorite thing on planet Earth. Uh, nice. One of my favorite game soundtracks, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, just a lot of flair in that game. Anyway, I have had a great experience with it. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, eventually. You know, like every other game. Um, a twenty dollar Black Friday sale got me on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. So, um, real quick, in our inaugural episode, it, it bears an explanation that uh, I play an absolute crap ton of PUBG. Oh, a, an ungodly <laughs> amount of PUBG. I don't have a ton of free time yet. I've still racked up a thousand hours or so in the last yeah. year. Um. And so that's what I spend a lot of time playing. So I I would like to talk about it briefly because it's noteworthy this week that PUBG is getting a new map. Oh, the winter map, right? That's correct. It's called Vikendi. Um, This will be the fourth map in the game. um, And it's the first um, map of its class, so to speak. So there are two maps that are eight kilometers by eight kilometers in size. um, And... That would be Erangel and Miramar for those uh, interested. Um, but and then Sandhawk is that's significantly correct. smaller, Much right? Much smaller. It's a quarter the size of those in that it's four by four. Um, and so Vikendi, the new map, is uh, a six by six, oh. and it's been on test servers for about a week. It will go on live servers on Wednesday. I don't know when this uh, episode will go live. Probably before then. Um, and it yeah so it's it's a bigger map than Sanok but smaller than the first two maps and so far in in testing it's been a nice blend of those styles it's not been nearly as chaotic or unpredictable as Sanok but not quite as a long term tactical as as Miramar and Erangel uh, those two maps can sometimes get to the point of being boring in the mid game because there's nothing going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's been that actually when I first picked up PUBG, yeah. aside from the fact that I was playing a four gig of RAM, uh, the fact that Killing. those maps take forever to yes. resolve was yes. my least excuse me, my least favorite part. Which of is game. why likely they they made the shift to Sanok a much faster game. You know, they were getting competition in, in the uh, BR space um, from games with smaller maps. Uh, the game that shall not be named. <laughs> oh, it'll definitely be it'll named. It'll be named. But, um, for all of our kid audiences who love it. <laughs> Fortnite, am I right, kids? Uh, um, but anyway, um, so yes, this is a nice blend. Um, there's a bunch of other uh, changes to the game that only those who are playing it on, on the daily will, will care about, but it's stuff I'm very excited about. I have a question for mm-hmm. you. So you've had a chance to hop into the test servers and play Vikendi, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Have, have you had a chance to hop on a snowmobile? Oh, definitely. What's the, Tell me about the snowmobile. So the snowmobile... So snow plays a a real tangible, is a real tangible mechanic in the game. Oh, really? So unlike any of the other maps in which terrain plays any mechanical difference yeah, none of none them do like there aren't sandstorms on miramar and there's not like 
I don't know, like bushes don't get smushed down when people run through them on Sanok or anything like right. that. Um, but on Vikendi, uh, you leave footprints. What? And they stay for a long time. It's it's Nobody's put out a definitive number for as, as far as I've seen, but it's at least 15 minutes. So, no way. And games are only uh, like 25 to 32 minutes. So it's not... So it's basically as long as would be even remotely useful. And I have tracked people down with their tracks hunted them vehicles also leave tracks um in the snow and they don't control very well in the snow so the snowmobile is a strong uh vehicle because the map has a butt ton of snow unsurprisingly um and it is by far the best uh vehicle in the snow it accelerates extremely quickly um and it uh, has a decent top speed and handling in the snow. And you can... It holds two people, and the person on the back can shoot a pistol or an SMG off of it. So it it's um, arguably the best vehicle on the map. Um, yeah, I imagine everything else would have snow handling difficulties. Right. There are plenty of roads. Like, it, it's, a de- it's a developed area. Gotcha. Um, so the other vehicles aren't useless, but the snowmobile is pretty baller. And yes, every vehicles leave tracks too, um, right? Which is uh, I've hunt, also hunted people that way too. So man, I it's funny because like having had significantly fewer hours of PUBG mm-hmm. um, than you have, <laughs> the thought of somebody I don't when I hear that there are tracks, I don't think oh I'll track people. I think. I'm going to get tracked. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> the last thing I need is the fact that right. people can now see where I've been. Right. Um, but, wow, that's very good. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, it doesn't play as big a role as you might think. Because, first, you have to notice the tracks. Like, they're not blaringly obvious. If sure. you see them, like, you can easily follow them. Like, that's not a problem. But it's not like you can see it from yonder mountain yeah definitely not um and so you have to be already nearby and then the second is that because they stay around you know a fair while it's unclear how close that person is sure so yeah yeah it's not so it's an interesting twist but it is not like a massive gameplay changer by any means right um so yeah uh, that's the pubg minute Uh, we'll I'll probably throw that in to an episode here and there because I just play a lot of it. Um, PUBG's still very good. Uh, Well, I want to talk about another multiplayer game that's broken out onto the scene, or should I say smashed out onto the scene recently. Um, And that is the new Super Smash Brothers game, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Um, I don't know, John, did you have any hands-on experience with uh, ultimate or even smash four no not ultimate uh, so i own um smash for wii u and played a fair bit of it i i want to say probably like 30 to 40 hours i would i would estimate um but i have not touched ultimate yet so here's here's where i'm at mm-hmm. uh the last smash brothers game i played for real was super smash brothers brawl um, okay it's so been a minute then the next one that i touched was the Nintendo 3DS version, which is notoriously very bad. Is it? Oh. Um, Well, it's a Nintendo 3DS port of, like, a real game, right? And so... Real game, got him. (laughs) Yeah, true, of a console game. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I guess. Not to knock too hard on the Nintendo 3DS, because it has has a place. Definitely. I just... Portable gaming has never been the same since the Switch, right? Yeah, fair, fair. um, But the 
the interesting thing about, I guess you could say my Smash experience is I skipped this Smash 4, which a lot of people I think really liked on the Wii. Yeah, it, it seemed, it's definitely seemed more popular than Brawl, at least in the competitive scene. Yeah. Um, and as far as how well it sold, I can look up the numbers while you're Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the, the sales numbers are. Um, but it's interesting to take a look at the new Smash Brothers because it's very much, I would say, like, it, there's a lot of fan service. Sure. And what yeah. I mean by that is you can tell that in what must have been a first and very difficult for Nintendo, they listened to the community in a big way when they made their choices about what to include in this game. Right. Um, and the interesting thing about that is... You look at, you know, there's a full roster, right? Every character ever from Smash Brothers has been there. Yes, um, which is crazy. Sakurai, please sleep. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I mean, he made like a light goof about it. Yeah. And it was viscerally upsetting. Definitely. I mean, like, not necessarily the climate to joke like, hey, can I take a break? Whew. Yeah, rough. Whew. <clears throat> um, but... But he did it. He did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're here now in Indeed. this world. Um, but I did have a chance to, to touch the game and I can say, uh, that it feels like a Super Smash Brothers game. Well, which I'm sure that's what the fans want. So. I did not feel that way about the 3DS version. <laughs> okay, fair. At fair. all. Um, so that was a big surprise and a, a big, I guess you could say a big benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like fan reception, I've noticed it's been a little divisive. Now, really? Okay. You said you had the sales numbers. Were you able to find? That's correct. Yeah. So the Wii U version sold an astounding 5.35 million copies as of oh, September wow. of this year. Now, to put that into perspective, um, be, uh, are you familiar with the concept of attach rate? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So th- there's only 12, maybe 13 million Wii U's sold to consumers in the world. Right. So the attach rate sold so to 50%. almost half. Yeah. That's nuts so needless to say the game sold incredibly well i mean almost five and a half million on any console would be very impressive so on the world's worst (laughs) almost the worst selling console yeah i think like the atari 5200 or something was (laughs) yeah i mean it depends on how you uh, like what consoles you include but from like a major hardware manufacturer one of the worst ever yeah so Yes, the game sold incredibly well, and it sold almost 10 million on the 3DS, so super oh, wow. solid there. Yeah, 9.35. Um, gotcha. So yeah, it was incredibly well received. Definitely. Um, and it's been interesting. I actually had the opportunity yesterday to sit down with a couple of buddies and, and play okay, through nice. uh, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. We played six players, oh, um, okay. which from the guy who had played four-player Brawl like five years ago right. and had not touched a Smash game since, except for a brief, brief fling with the 3DS version. <laughs> right, right. Um, that was insane. Yes, I don't doubt it. Um, because it ended up just me playing... It ended up as me playing as Ike, swinging my sword around, um, just hoping that my charge attacks hit... <laughs> somebody right, um, right and a lot of the new stages they've added are very small and not very conducive to eight players huh. uh, which made it a madhouse and actually pretty fun yeah um, for sure but it's interesting to to kind of note uh from like some of the changes they've made in the sense that so much is included now right that it feels when you sit down to play it feels like 
I remember the first time I ever played Melee, it mm-hmm. felt like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed with options, which was funny because there were like 20. Right? But, <laughs> you know, at the time, I was sure. blown away by it. Sure. Um, the other thing they did that's really interesting, and, and you may have heard this, John, mm-hmm. every single character beyond the initial eight that were in the first Smash Brothers game, you have to unlock every single character. Really? And there's two ways to unlock. Huh. Uh, one is through the multiplayer or the single player story mode, mm-hmm. and one is through multiplayer. And so this is really interesting because what happens is there's this uh, if you sit down and play multiplayer, mm. uh, like I did with my roommate a couple weeks ago, sure, you'll battle it out, and then whomever wins, and it's probably every battle or every other battle, it'll say like a challenger is approaching, okay, and whoever won the battle gets to fight the new. Oh, challenger okay. so there's almost this interesting multiplayer reward of like yeah. well if you win the battle you get to unlock the new character or that's that's kind of cool fail i mean i'm not sure i'm in love with the fact that they announced all these characters and then said you can't play yeah. any of them that's very strange that there is not like uh obviously you'd be skipping out on a lot of you know the loop of the game but that there's right. no option to just be like okay unlock them all if you want yeah it's interesting. that's a little that's very Nintendo. If yes, it is. Know, accessibility very... friend Nintendo. Hooray. But <laughs> well, anyway. Um... What's interesting about it is Super Smash Brothers' potency as a party game depends on that roster. Yeah, right. Um, but at the same time, it can be very fun and very exciting to sit down with somebody who's a little bit more serious about gaming mm-hmm. and say, all right, we're going to have like multiplayer battles and unlock characters as we go. Sure. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for like a party game, Buy it, grind through it with a friend, and then use it as a party yeah, game. absolutely. Which is interesting. Uh, but yeah. ultimately, I had a really good experience with it, and nice. I don't know. We'll see if I pick up a copy. Fair. Them dollars. Yeah. Uh, but that. yeah, it's very, very good, and I would say the best Smash that I've personally played. Nice. Um, and I had a lot of fun with it. Nice. So. Yeah, I have historically not been the biggest Smash fan. I know I said I played 30 or 40 hours of that last game, but that was mostly at parties and things. Also, so, you've clocked 900 hours into PUBG. A thousand. A thousand. That's correct. I forgot about short the other changing. servers. <laughs> um, and so by comparison, 30 hours is right. not right. fandom by right. any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, yeah, I think, I don't know. It's interesting to look at and just kind of see, I guess, what they've done with the game. Mm-hmm. It was interesting from your smash fanship when e3 rolled around yeah. and they gave so much smash news and that was like all they were talking about yeah it was interesting to hear your disappointment whereas i was kind of hyped right, right? right. Yep. you're like yep. what is this and so i actually didn't know that you had the wii u version as a result like, oh, i just assumed okay. you hated smash no i definitely don't hate it but i i've historically not been a huge fighting game fan um and i yeah i, I I'm unclear how, how I ultimately feel about it. So I, I don't want to paint myself into a corner. But I, yes, it's fair to say that after the end of E3 this year, when that's all they focused on, compared to E3 last year and the year before, which was uh, Mario Odyssey strong yes. focus and Breath of the Wild strong focus, respectively, both of which I was super amped for. And can we talk about, there was also a Metroid Prime teaser we heard nothing about. Right. No Bayonetta. Ago, I mean, yeah. I'm with you on the fact that right. the Smash washout was unfortunate. Right. They had things that people... Uh, expected them to talk about whether rightly or not right. um, and they didn't so that that was a bummer uh, on top of that I don't think their presentation was very good but that yeah, yeah, uh, I don't yeah. want to beat a six month dead horse it's 
It's fine. Yeah. Um, and the game is out, and people seem to be really enjoying it. And so that's, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that. Yeah, so I'm glad I had a chance to do a hands-on demo, and I can say that it's enjoyable. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, all right, Logan, you want to talk about uh, some upcoming games or recent oh, games that we're man. excited about? Okay, so I want to talk about uh, Gree. Or Gris? I genuinely um, don't know. I'm but... going to say Gris, because okay. uh, if it were French, like if it were a French right. word, it would be Gris. Right. Um, which I think is how they spell Gray. Spell. <laughs> That's how yep. the French people spell this wonderful English word we have, right. which is Gray. Um, yeah, no, so I'm going to say Gris. Okay. Um, and Gris is really interesting in the sense that it... It had almost a journey vibe. I don't know. Have you seen anything yes. for it, um, John? Some screenshots, yeah. Yeah, so it's published by Devolver Digital, whom okay. I have very loving feelings <laughs> towards for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a completely, well, not completely, but it's a watercolor game. Okay. Um, which is funny, because I was sitting at my desk a couple weeks ago thinking like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if somebody made a watercolor game? Yeah. And then I caught wind of this <laughs> juicy, juicy nugget. Nice. Um... Anyway, so it's interesting, though, because it's more than just, like, aesthetically beautiful. Uh Like, Journey's nice because it's... uh, Did you play Journey, John? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so Journey's nice because it's a quest up this mountain. Yes. And it's flowing beautiful, and the soundtrack's excellent. And it's Mm -hmm. a work of art in its own right. Uh Uh, Gree, from what I can understand, they've been very vague, and I appreciate that. Okay. It's about a girl who's overcoming a trauma. And so it's more a symbolic journey through her battle with sorrow and grief right um and so i'm very very interested in that um mechanically the game is all designed around her dress from what i understand Mm. and so you'll they have like if you look at screenshots or videos you'll see her dress turns into a brick to help her withstand heavy winds right interesting and so as you unlock more abilities with your dress you get the ability to explore this watercolor world and ultimately overcome i imagine Overcome grief and sorrow. I can't some, speak yeah, definitively. Sure, sure. Um, but that's got to be the, the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really interesting to me because I think it highlights a lot about what games can do as a medium for emotion yeah. as well as a medium for beauty. Um, and I'm very looking forward to getting a hands-on trial with it. Extremely David Cage voice. Emotions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, yeah, I. that's one I'm definitely looking forward to as well. Uh but I've got a lot of games like that. I know! I know. Well, that's the thing. I see it, and I'm like, it's $17 on the Nintendo Switch. Okay. Which I think I would want it on Switch. It's also sure. on PC. I don't know if they dropped it on PS4, but it's hmm. for sure on PC and okay. Switch. And I'm like, I. it's hard to pick between portability yeah. and like being able to have this incredible, well, hopefully incredible emotional experience on a bus right. versus like... It will look way more beautiful on my PC. Yeah, fair. Right? Fair. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see what I pick. But yeah, it's... Uh, with so many games, man. It's, it's yes. a tough... So, you alluded to a game yourself. What are you looking forward to right now? What just came out or what what's coming up? Yeah, so in the... There's several games, but I want to talk about Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden. Okay, so which... I've seen... Oh, sorry to cut you off, but I've no, seen something good. here. And it's a pig in a... Space outfit? Correct. Okay, so fill me in, because I'm not okay. very brushed up on so, this. So, uh, I've yet to play it. Um, I'm looking forward to it. But it is a... From what I gather, it's a, a, a post-apocalypse um, XCOM-like game. Um, so it's very strategy-focused. Um, and it takes place after 
you know, some cataclysm sure. in which, I don't know, maybe through the means of radiation, there are sentient talking animals as well as like, you know, somewhat mutated humans um, working together. Uh, so it's a, it's an interesting aesthetic, and I, I want to say bad name. Yeah, like not great. I it, mean, at least now I understand it. Now that sure. you've told me that it's post apocalyptic, right. like it's right. year zero for the mutants. But yeah, not an. Yeah, it it's not particularly memorable. Like I I've been looking forward to this game since it was announced. Oh, I don't know earlier this year, I think. Um, but uh, even then, I had a hard time remembering the name. But you know the. Besides, getting past that, the game, like I said, it's an XCOM-like, so heavy strategy focus. But you can also walk around freely in the open world. It doesn't become oh. grid-based strategy until you are spotted by enemies or you actively uh, begin an encounter. Oh, that's interesting. So it's almost like like JRPG-like in that sense. Almost, yeah. Like, have you played a Final Fantasy? Yeah, or, definitely. Yeah, like that kind of Yeah, so where... it... it yeah, it's not quite random encounters, um, but like, yes, you, you will walk up and there will be enemies. And once you enter their line of sight, which is denoted by a circle on the ground from what I've seen. So it's it's very clear when you are in gotcha. their line of sight, then it becomes grid based. But it's in the exact same scene, the exact same geometry. Whoa, setting. so they just drop a grid on top? Is Exa- that what you're yes. saying? Yes, so it, it looks very cool i'm i'm very excited about it. i think it's only 35 dollars. it's out on ps4 and uh, pc probably xbox as well though i'm not 100 percent sure who, who developed that one um let's look i'm not 100 percent sure yeah this is this i'm curious you about um now i've heard a lot of really good things about the people who have or from the people who have played it yeah in the sense that for a lot of people, it was a little bit of a game of a year shakeup for some publications. Yeah, yeah. Um, some people really, really liked it a fair bit. Right. Um, I can say that there are some aesthetic things about it that I really do like. Mm-hmm. I love that there's this almost Howard the Duck character who's <laughs> Yeah, I believe around. his name is Ducks. D-U-X. That's super good. But, mm, Howard the Duck is a strong read. That, yeah, he yeah. definitely vibes mm-hmm. heavily from Howard the Duck. Yep. Um, Yep. Yep. Ducks. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I like the... I mean, I'm a big fan of the XCOM strategy style uh-huh. of gaming as well. And so, I don't know. It's something that really interests me. Yeah. Uh, do we have a read on that pu- or developer? Yeah, so developed by The Bearded Ladies, a team I've never heard of. Uh, yeah, published that's... by Funcom. Um, yeah, and it's $35 on Steam, PS4, and Xbox One. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most, I think. I hope to pick it up next week and play it uh, over the break. Uh, yeah. We'll see how that goes. Um, now, I tipped you off to a game that I'm looking forward to. Mm. Um, and this is a little bit more... This one's actually upcoming. Um, and that's a game called She Dreams Elsewhere. Indeed. So there's a demo on Steam... Did you have a chance to look? No, okay. unfortunately. Yeah, I'll I was afraid to download it right now while you're chatting it up. But uh, yeah, so She Dreams Elsewhere is an interesting game in the sense that it's completely done in the... I, they've called it a JRPG, but the studio is not Japanese. Okay, sure. So it's like not really a JRPG, but it's in that style no, for I know sure. Mean, yeah. um, and it's it very much reads like Earthbound, okay. um, which is that old classic Nintendo with sure. this and, and okay, Lucas yeah. and so on. Um, and so it has an ink pen 
design for right. the art and the aesthetic. Um, they've hinted that your character is in a coma. Okay. And that's how you get into this dream world. And it's about over... It's Again, it's another one of those games that thematically I love that's overcoming anxiety and sure. like dealing with your social stress. Um, this one, uh, I mean, looking at like the sorrow and grief and grief and comparing it to this, yeah. this one is very heavy-handed with it. Okay. In the sense that you see your character's thoughts... Um, and you get the opportunity to like, you're at a party and everybody's like bumping and having a good time right. and like you're talking and like your character thinks to herself, like they probably hate me. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's scripted in such a way that it actually feels pretty organic, okay. which is good because sometimes like, especially in literature and in film, I yeah. think it's really hard to nail that right. anxiety and do it in a, I, I mean, I can't say that this is particularly sensitive since that's not something I struggle with. Uh-huh. Um, but in a way that feels to me as an responsible yeah it feels responsible right um and it feels very very interesting to address it in this way and then there's some some weird aesthetics like the underworld if it were Mm. is like you going in through a dream labyrinth looking for your dog and so i'm not entirely sure what's happening there um but yeah so it's got a really interesting feel and a very good aesthetic i love the hand-drawn ink pen style yeah um and it looks very very good nice well, I, yeah, that just finished downloading, so I will also ah, give that beautiful. a look, uh, hopefully before our next episode. But Logan, <clears throat> it's time to talk about problems in the industry. Oh, and no. <laughs> oh, no. For our first inaugural problem in the industry, you want to kick us off with that sweet, sweet Sonic poster? Oh, man. Okay, so there have been, I found out this morning, mm. three uh, Sonic posters. That's correct. That have been uh, leaked I think the first one that they showed to the internet, uh, the studio behind the film. Yeah, that the, sort of interactive poster. Not interactive, but like yeah, moving. Moving. Basically a vine. <laughs> yeah, the vine poster. Yeah. Um, of Sonic rushing up with his wicked thick thighs. <laughs> just the beefiest man thighs. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Um, and then I think... The internet's reaction to that is what has spurred leaks of other posters. Seemingly, yeah. Um, some of which are better than others. Yeah, you and we talked briefly before the show. The third poster, uh, <laughs> this is a, an audio medium, so apologize if you haven't seen it. But for those who have, the um, uh, it shows uh, Sonic in full view. Or something that looks like it, it could be, be Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> the creature named Sonic, um, sort of leaning on the back of a car. Um, and so we, we get like a full view of what he's going to look like. And it's very humanoid. Yeah. I like mean... we, we talked about the eyes, which are not Sonic's eyes. So those Sonic fans out there, what up? More yeah. power to you. <laughs> we'll know that the Sonic eyes are extreme. They're... They've been humanized in a big way. Right. Because Sonic doesn't really have eyes. Yeah. Like the character of Sonic has like one eye that yes, like yes. has a brow in between it. Right. And it's, they're oddly shaped. Um, Very. In, in this poster and w- what will seemingly be the final product, it's tough to say. They've got a year, but most likely. Um, extremely humanoid eyes, like mm-hmm. uh, separated by uh, the bridge of the nose, like very oval shaped, very decently proportioned. Yeah. Like, and I was telling you, John, I yeah. was reading on the internet an interview with the 
the art director for this film, mm-hmm. and he said that he did not think Sega would appreciate the direction <laughs> that they went with the eyes, which well, seems too bad. Which seems an odd thing right. to know that you know the company you're licensing from probably won't like it, but you're going to do it right. anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, he's very. I mean. It's an interesting thing because it's not like Sonic really looks like a hedgehog anyway. Well, like he's sure. already very anthropomorphic and also blue. Um, but at the same time, this Sonic is a pretty vast departure. Yeah, from definitely all previous animated Sonics we've seen. Right, right. Um, yeah. So we're this is a developing story. Yeah, he's a. I I liked it. I was listening to. Uh, I can't remember if it was another cast or a conversation I had with a friend, but they said that. Unlike Detective Pikachu, where they gave us the long-haired Pokemon all-in-one trailer, Sonic has to be fed to the fans over a drip system. (laughs) Otherwise, they will all die from Uh, over-toxicity. And I think that's a possibility. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, but it's very interesting to see. I think video game movies in general are historically not great. Yes, very much so. Yeah, so next year, Detective Pikachu and Sonic, those are... And two easily of the highest budget and highest profile uh, video game movies. So we'll see how they turn out. If the Sonic the Hedgehog film doesn't work out, Mm. I know what I want. I I still want a sequel. All right, all right. Um, But I want like kind of a crossover sequel. I want them to bring Kojima in as director. (laughs) And I want it to be called Metal Gear Sonic. Okay. And then that's the the whole pitch. I just want to see where things go from from just a title. I'm down. (laughs) Um, So yeah, because I... There's no way it would be worse. <laughs> Seemingly. Um, it's yeah. unfortunate that this design that they went for, nobody seems to like very right. much. And I think in some ways it's it's difficult to please. A great example is Detective Pikachu, which everybody sure. hated that Pikachu had fur. And it's like, well, he is the, the Pokedex. My, my true <laughs> fandom is coming through here. But the Pokedex calls him the electric mouse Pokemon. Right. So he should have fur. Right. Right. Um, and so it's along that same line it's like well okay they were doing their best yeah but there's going to be a backlash no matter what you do right uh, yeah with sonic as... it does feel like they went a little overboard on the creative liberties definitely as an extremely sideline pokemon fan um i didn't even notice so it seemed yeah. it seemed very reasonable that he felt, would have fur yeah it felt kind of kind of um, greedy and kind of real so yeah, uh, Detective Pikachu seems to have a much more positive response so far, mm-hmm. if still somewhat mixed. I um, agree. There are some horrifying Pokemon in that trailer. <laughs> Mr. Um, Mime. Oh, Mr. Mime is Goodness terrifying. Goodness yep. And Jigglypuff. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh man, it's horrifying. Indeed. <laughs> but Indeed. hey, uh, yeah, I think it's definitely had a more positive response. But mm-hmm. video game films have been kind of a problem in the industry in yep. general, so yeah. I don't think anybody will be heartbroken yeah yeah that's fair it's gonna be better than the super mario brothers movie right surely it's gotta be so yeah but yeah we'll see how that goes yeah so that's a that's a problem in the industry right now in in a sense indeed and the other problem not so much a problem but i wanted to bring it up as a uh developing trend is a new pc storefronts so if anybody has been you know in the the gaming space specifically in pc um at any point in the last 10 years you will know that steam dominates everything unquestionably unquestionably like other there are a few other launchers you know the uplays and the origins of, of the universe if you will um but nothing that has gained you know any significant traction 
And the thing I want to talk about here, which is what's been driving the conversation mostly, is how that revenue has been split. Um, yeah. So I read a great article a little mm-hmm. while ago about like Big Brother Steam, like yeah. bad Steam. Mm-hmm. Um, and until then, I hadn't realized the revenue split was so big and so vast. It's extreme. Yeah. Um, it's a 70-30, right? That's for correct. Yeah. And for clarity's sake, that's what most digital distribution platforms have been. So your oh, Google gotcha. Plays and your Apple stores, um, they have been that as well. I I can't speak definitively to if they still are. I'm not 100% sure. But 70-30 was an understandable split, especially in 2005 or six, right. whenever Well, storage costs were so much higher back then. Yes, right? and distributing over the internet was also more expensive. Um, but it stayed 70-30 for a decade now um, until last week or this... Yeah, last week. Yeah, um, last week, week ago. Game yeah, Awards. Yeah, the right? Game Awards in which Epic announced that they would be launching their own store, which uh, to those uh, savvy in, in the PC space is not shocking. Right, they'd been hinting at it for some time. They, they already had their own launcher. <laughs> yeah, for Fortnite and Unreal Engine. Right, and basically just a Fortnite launcher now rest in peace unreal tournament but um yeah, true. and so they already had an in uh in the you know pc the desktop space um and so that wasn't shocking but what really was surprising was their announced revenue split which uh was 88 12 so that's 88 to the developers and uh for all purchases you know microtransactions all that stuff uh, Epic would keep 12%. So that is already way more competitive mm-hmm. than Steam. Well, um, and what I thought was interesting about it was watching the Game Awards, because I'd actually heard a little bit about Epic planning to do that before the Game Awards. Yeah. But it kicked off really big in the Game Awards when they started launching some exclusives. True, yes. Which um, people were not happy about, which... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you couldn't tell from the title of this podcast, Logan and I are quite skeptical of larger gaming culture in many ways. Um, uh, hard not to be in 2018. I just but. want to herald back to like, what, like an hour ago when we were workshopping titles <laughs> and we said uh, Gamer Nation was a potential title indeed, and I indeed. wanted to die yeah. uh, because that's, it's again, it's culturally like not my favorite thing right uh historically quite toxic uh quite um hostile towards women and minorities Mm -hmm. um also uh, immature is a extremely overplayed term but i think you get the idea uh, overreacting to uh things a lot um and of course gamergate yeah and a mob mentality in general outside of gamergate whether it's like negative steam review mobbing or or those things yeah for sure um, and so the reaction um, to these uh, Epic Store exclusives has been strange because it's a reaction that harkens to a console exclusive, which I think people uh, can understandably be upset about because you then don't get access to a game unless you drop three, four hundred dollars on a new box. But but in the PC space, it's free. There's it's a free literally download. no barrier. It's the exact same thing as as downloading. Uh, just another program. There are some more small-scale concerns that are definitely worth um, noting. Like, uh, in certain regions, um, Steam has better pricing than Epic will because it has more specific pricing, I think, is how it works. Gotcha. Um, 
So that is kind of a bummer for uh, a very small subset of people in for certain games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is something uh, worth you know raising your voice about. Uh, but to the point where people were literally boycotting the Epic Store because they had um, nabbed some exclusives is very strange to me. Yeah, um, and from the standpoint of the Epic Store... It makes sense to have exclusives. Gotta get people in the door. And what I mean by that is, from a financial standpoint, Mm -hmm. Valve can very much afford to, if they had those exclusives on the channel, they very much could afford to throw some discounts, some deep ones. Sure. Uh, Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, And so, if you want to have a good competitive edge, exclusives is the way to go. Yeah, definitely. And Oh, go ahead. Just people who are excited about Game X, um, if it's exclusive, like very unlikely that they will just refuse to play the game um, right. when it costs them nothing to download a different you know, launcher or client or whatever you well, want to call it. And so, what I find interesting about this whole setup is that, I mean, until like two years ago, I was running a Windows XP. And <laughs> Steam doesn't run on XP, which means that any game I wanted to buy, whether it was, you know, StarCraft mm. or, you know world of warcraft in right my, back in my hefty blizzard days i had to buy the disc and install it right and run it off the pc itself with no game yeah, just straight up EXE, right? like, yeah. and so like right. i don't necessarily understand what the difference is in a client anyway like i've got a like both clients offer desktop shortcuts right <laughs> like there's no difference in the game right. launch process in fact i downloaded the free copy of subnautica from epic this morning and i gave it a right. launch just to see and i was like oh it works and then i thought to myself like of course it does it's essentially a macro to open the file yeah, right that's all this launcher yep. is really yep. um and yeah. so i don't know what the issue is there are some features that the epic store currently doesn't have um that steam does like cloud saves are sure. um at least they weren't there at launch maybe they're in now it's it's been a, a i haven't seen now. anything um, about it uh, so, some things like that. And the social features aren't as robust as Steam, but like everyone uses Discord on PC. So it is, is not a big deal. Um, right. Which I wanted to talk about as well because yes. Discord announced a store as well and they're 9010. That's revenue, correct. So the race to the bottom has begun, friends. Um, and I, I love that a lot in the yes. sense that from a consumer, oh, wow, from a consumer standpoint, mm-hmm. there is no difference in price. Really? Right. Again, barring some specific um, small circumstances, yeah. yes, it is the same. And so, speaking generally, it's the the money goes to the developers. Yes, exactly. Right? And so this is like I would say almost an ethical appeal to gamers Absolutely. that they're trying to make here, <laughs> which is wild because that's uh, ethical appeals to gamers. Yeah. yeah. But yes, um, it's like I I fully plan on buying games from the discord store in the future because yeah. developers get more money and i care way more about that than i do about my steam achievements yeah 100 um, percent. so there are two other uh aspects to this that are interesting uh uh related to discord they also announced that they will be opening up the storefront to anybody in 2019 so you and i could make a game and and put it out on discord um which steam kind of does yeah. through the steam direct program i think it costs a hundred dollars um but you can put a game out um right and um epic does not do that at least yet um gotcha it's unclear whether they plan to in the future or not um so 
that that's an interesting tidbit because Discord launched their store like four months ago, and um, that store was heavily curated. So they're just putting select games that they have made partnerships with or gotcha. or games that they've signed deals with and things like that. Um, and so, yes, this will be a much more open platform starting next year and a platform in which the developers will make way more money than they do on Steam and slightly more money than they do on the Epic Store. So... Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see. The other thing that Discord can already do is import your games library. Yes. It doesn't do it very well. Yeah. I've it's, noticed. It's okay at best. Um, but it can import some games. Yeah. I know mine pulled over PUBG, mm-hmm. PUBG's test server, yes. and Doki Doki Literature Club. It um, seems to least. work mostly with Steam. It doesn't seem to work almost at all with Blizzard. Yeah, um, I didn't get any of my Blizzard games yeah. pulled over. and... Uh, any just random exe games you got lying around should work as well. Yeah, I think it pulled Dwarf Fortress. In yeah, for yeah. me. So yeah, it's somewhat hit or miss. Um, but with time, indeed, it it'll be interesting to see a launcher that can launch from any launcher, <laughs> which is something that I never thought. Yo, I'd dog, say. I heard you like launchers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, it's an interesting conundrum, and so the other bit of the story is, of course, Steam's response. Which is just sad. <laughs> yeah. So not I, I'm pretty. not sure if you saw this, but their response to, not to Discord, because Discord came after their response, but to Epic, um, their rumored pricing, Steam said, okay, we will also change our revenue split. Um, and I'm going to get the exact numbers wrong here, but it's not super important. It's important to realize the scale. So basically, uh, I think... Anything that sells below fifty million. Oh, I heard about this. Fifty million dollars, maybe it's ten million. Some substantially large number um, will be the seventy thirty split. Once you hit that threshold, which again is in the tens of millions, um, you then get something like a, an eight or a seventy five twenty five. Right. And then it keeps climbing from there, but the maximum is only like eighty twenty. So. This only affects games that are already selling huge numbers. And so this does not help indie developers at all. And even for the biggest developers, this isn't a particularly generous split. Right. Both Discord and Epic have said that they can be profitable at the numbers that they are doing. 88, 12, and 10. Or, uh, 90, 10. 9 and 10. Um which says that uh, Steam has been making ludicrous amounts of money. Yeah, just fast access. Um, they, they're a privately held company, so we don't know their financials exactly, but it's they're wi- they are widely considered the most profitable company in America uh, per employee. That's um, not surprising. Which is not surprising at all. Yeah. And so for them to come out and make this split that is hey, big game companies, we're going to give you a slightly better deal. Hooray. Seems really tone deaf. And, I mean, the the honest answer to why they're doing that is probably the Steam is just not scared of Epic or Discord. Right. But maybe they should be. Like I said, I fully intend to buy things from Discord from now on. And and maybe Epic as well for their exclusives. I don't have any particular love for Steam. And I don't know many people who do. So oh, yeah. if um, 
if uh, Epic and Discord can continue to build out better customer incentives to come over, I think Steam probably should be worried. Maybe not for 2019, but like uh, tides, tides are changing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's definitely going to be some sort of of shift, whether it's... yeah. I mean, I don't know how massive it will be, right. but there's going to be a shift. Yeah. And my hope is that it puts Valve in enough of a financial crunch that they feel so inclined to, I don't know, like remaster Half-Life or make a <laughs> Half-Life or Portal 3 or Team Fortress 3 or any game with a 3 at the end of right. it. Um, but who knows? Who what, knows? you're saying you don't like a heavily monetized card game? No, no. Artifact's not doing it for me. No, doesn't seem to be doing it for anybody. anybody. Really. Not that I can speak to it. I haven't played it. I don't think you have. No, played, I haven't but... either, but I was not sold on the concept. Yeah, me neither. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to look at kind of what Steam has done to Valve as a company in the sense mm-hmm. that they used to make great games. Yeah, they are no longer a games company. It no. Is... At least not primarily. They are a digital distribution company and a very good one at that, or a very shrewd one anyway. Right. Um, and it's interesting because I was reading an article the other day that talked about a mod set called Black Mesa, mm, uh, which yeah. is very heavy uh-huh. and is now officially the best way to play Half-Life. <laughs> right. Um, and it wasn't even developed by Valve. So right. that's unfortunate, right? Yeah. Um, I think Valve, or Steam rather, has existed and proliferated in the way it has at least in some part due to Valve's beloved nature as a game developer, mm-hmm. which it just doesn't really do anymore. No, um, yeah, they don't make that. It's been riding on Portal 2 and Half-Life 2, and of course the originals of those. For and me. of course Dota. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot about Dota. Yeah. Obviously, but that is a game that is um, uh, like established. Like right. they, they're They're riffing on it as time goes on, but it's, this is not like a... If you don't already play Dota, chances are you're not going to care or play about Dota. That's you know what, what I was going to say. I was looking at Dota the other day, and it has a very high barrier to entry. Kind Definitely. of like in a League of Legends way. Mm. I think they're very similar. Yeah, I mean, they're both MOBAs. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> that's about the extent of my knowledge. But yeah. <laughs> yes, in that way, they are similar, yeah. And so, as a result, it's very hard to walk onto the MOBA scene. It's kind of like when you start playing Overwatch for the first time. Definitely. And you're the worst diva in the history of the world and <laughs> right. the chat lets you know it. Right. <laughs> like, yes, definitely. Uh, it's it's like that where the barrier to entry is so high. I'd love to see them maybe have to make a shift back to games development. Right. That could be interesting. Yeah. I guess we'll see what happens. Indeed. Time will tell. Uh, but in the meantime, yes, better news for developers and that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, so this is just about going to wrap up our show today. Indeed. But uh, let's talk about what we've got on deck. What are your plans this week for, for the video games? Oh, more PUBG. I know, because the new map is dropping, <laughs> That's right? correct, uh, yeah. So from Wednesday on, I will definitely be playing a fair bit of PUBG. But I've got, as you know, Logan, um, quite an extensive backlog. And I'm planning on hitting up either Dishonored 2 um, or maybe Mad Max, that uh, that 2015 Avalanche game. Oh yeah, I forgot that, about that one. Most people didn't like, but I think looks really interesting. So one of those is my plan for this week. Gotcha. Um, yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll probably uh, put some time into She Sleeps Elsewhere, that free demo. Uh, the full game's not out till 2019, from what yeah, I've seen. Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get that that little taste, but. 
So yeah, you know, she dreams elsewhere. I think you'll like it or you'll hate it. It's going to be one of those two. Okay, fair enough. Um, but I enjoyed it a fair bit. Right. Uh, this week for me, I'm planning to probably pour some time into Gree. I'm probably going to okay. pick it up. Uh, I've got a copy of Gone Home that I need to dive into and finish off. Nice. Um, and I'm looking forward to both of those very much. Nice. So. Well, we'll report back next week with our, our goodies. And uh, you know, hopefully all the games are good. Uh, that's... The eternal hope. (laughs) This has been That Odious Beast Gaming. (laughs) Thanks for listening.